3 a.m. Tales of Terror contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, it's Jamie and Charlie. We just wanted to let you know that we did go ahead and open up a Patreon account. If you wanted to, you can go and subscribe to it. There's two tiers currently, and Charlie's going to tell you about one, and I'll tell you about the other. Our tier three is the standard tier that's three dollars a month it's ad-free content but right now we're not sponsored but when it when we do hopefully yeah then you'll get ad-free content you'll have early access so you get your episodes a day early and the complete post archive yeah and so the episodes a day early i'm going to be posting them actually a day and a half early that you'll get them at on thursdays at 3 p.m eastern standard time so that's when i'll be posting them so you actually get them a day and a half early and then our second tier is $5 a month. You get everything that you get with $3 with a $3 tier. And then you also get some bonus episodes that I have not started to record yet. They're mainly going to be me just reading stories from books that I have with just cool, interesting stories in them. Sometimes me and Charlie might do bonus episodes, but we don't really live that close together. You guys yeah, know this. It's a little <laughs> trip to get here. So, so... <laughs> so Mainly, but most of them will be just me, but, you know, if we and her get together and we wanted to do a bonus episode together where we read some cool stories or whatever, then we can, but that's basically what the bonus episodes are going to be, and I have not started posting them yet, so just give me a moment. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably be, like, within the next month or so. Yeah, I'm hoping to do it within the next month or so, so with with the holidays coming up, it's, it's busy, <laughs> so... But we just wanted to let you guys know, um, we'll post the link for the Patreon account in the show notes, so you can go there and sign up if you want. And that's pretty much it. Also, I know we did talk about it in the beginning of this Halloween episode, but we weren't sure at the time when we recorded it if we were going to actually set it up, but I went ahead and did, so. We're all set now. Yeah, so if you want to support us, um, just go to the Patreon account and sign up. And just so you guys know, the Patreon support that you know if you guys sign up and you give us this money each month it's basically just going to be used right now for you know uh, upgrades to our studio upgrades to equipment um, anything that we pay for that is for the podcast so like the website the email to keep our podcast on certain platforms that so that's basically what it'll be used for for right now until we can get some more sponsors and then maybe start donating to a charity. So, all right. Well, that's pretty much it. That's all we wanted to let yeah, you guys know. Thank y'all. Thank you. Hi, welcome to 3 a.m. Tales of Terror. Welcome to our Halloween special episode. Boo. If you heard the mic test episode, then um, you knew about this episode a little bit because we mentioned it for like 30 seconds, but I took it down. So if you didn't get a chance to hear it, then <laughs> oh, well, here it is. <laughs> In this particular episode, one, it's going to be a little bit longer. It's going to be kind of like a bonus episode um, that we really haven't done yet. So, But we planned on doing some bonus episodes. I don't know if we're ever going to open up a Patreon or not. So 
if we, it depends on you guys yeah it really depends on you guys our followers and stuff because we don't I don't really know. I don't want to, you know, put it out there because there are fees with Patreon and stuff that I know. And you have to keep you have to pay to keep up. And it's not worth it if you don't have a lot of followers who are willing to pay for it. So I, I would really we would really appreciate feedback because if you guys want that and you want the bonus, like if you want bonus content, we can do that. It's just it's a lot. <laughs> so, I mean, getting us, you know, getting us together, uh, scheduling our recording sessions that's why I don't know if you guys know but we record like three or four episodes every time we get together because um I live 40 minutes away yeah and so have work our schedules are a little busy and I can't record during the week because I work and I uh I'm in school so I have homework and I also enjoy my TV shows quite a bit. <laughs> so <laughs> I enjoy some TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I texted you the other day and you were like, I was like, what are you doing? Watching TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> I've not been on TikTok in so long. Okay. So for the Halloween episode, we're going to go over the background, the history of Halloween, um, some like the, the history of trick or treating, the history of haunted attractions. Um, the Christian influence on it, the Gaelic influence on it, um, just history and stuff about Halloween and where it, you know, came, where it came from and how it's grown and, you know, how we celebrate Halloween in America, how other countries celebrate Halloween and we're going to talk about food that's associated with it. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So this episode is going to be a little bit longer than normal. Unless we speak really fast. Yeah, unless we speak really <laughs> fast with it. Uh, so, okay. Um, so, I'm going to start. Let's see. Okay. So, Halloween, or less commonly known as All Halloween, All Hallows Eve, or All Saints Eve, is a celebration observed in many countries on October 31st. The Eve of the Western Christian Feast of All Hallows Day. It begins the observance of All Hollow Tide, the time in the liturgical year dedicated to remembering the dead, including saints, martyrs, and all the departed. One theory holds that many Halloween traditions were influenced by the Celtic Harvest Festivals, particularly the Gaelic Festival, Samhain, which are believed to have pagan roots. Some go further to suggest that Samhain may have been Christianized as All Hallows Day, along with its eve by the early church. Other academics believe Halloween began solely as a Christian holiday, being the vigil of All Hallows Day. Celebrated in Ireland and Scotland for centuries, Irish and Scottish immigrants took many Halloween customs to North America in the 19th century. And then through American influence, Halloween had spread to other countries by the late 20th and early 21st century, which we're in now. Correct? Okay. Yes. Making sure. <laughs> Popular Halloween activities include trick-or-treating or the related guising and souling, attending Halloween costume parties, carving pumpkins into jack-o'-lanterns, which me and Kenny have not gotten our pumpkins yet. Hmm. Lighting bonfires, apple bobbing, divination games, playing pranks, visiting haunted attractions, which me and Charlie are going to tonight. So excited. Yes. Telling scary stories, which we tell you guys every week, and watching horror or Halloween-themed films. 
Some people practice the Christian religious observances of All Hallows' Eve, including attending church services and lighting candles on the graves of the dead, although it is a secular celebration for others. Some Christians historically abstained from meat on All Hallows' Eve, a tradition reflected in the eating of in the eating of certain vegetarian foods on this vigil day, including apples, potato pancakes, and soul cake. I like potato pancakes. I've never had a potato pancake. What is that? Well, is it I just pancakes it, made out of latkes. potatoes? What? Latkes. What is that? It's like shredded potato. Oh my god. And then like, I think there's like egg and flour and seasoning and then you fry it. Mm. Kind of like a hash brown. Oh. Okay. That's what I think of. I just, when I heard that, I, I when I saw that when I was doing the research, I was like, what is a freaking potato pancake? Is it just potatoes? A pancake made out of potatoes? I don't know. <laughs> All right, now we're going to get into Christian origins and customs. Halloween is thought to have roots in Christian beliefs and practices. The English word Halloween comes from All Hallows' Eve, being the evening before the Christian holy days of All Hallows' Day, or All Saints' Day, on the 1st of November, and All Souls' Day on the 2nd of November. Since the time of the early church, major feasts in Christianity, such as Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost, had vigils that began the night before, as did the Feast of All Hallows. These three days are collectively called All Hallowtide and are a time when Western Christians honor all saints and pray for recently departed souls who have yet to reach heaven. Commemorations of all saints and martyrs were held by several churches on various dates, mostly in springtime. In 4th century Roman Edessa, it was held on May 13th, and on May 13, 609, Pope Boniface IV rededicated the Pantheon in Rome to St. Mary and all martyrs. This was the day of Lemuria, an ancient Roman festival of the dead. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III founded an oratory in St. Peter's for the relics of the holy apostles and of all saints, martyrs, and confessors. Some sources say it was dedicated on November 1st, while others say it was on Palm Sunday in April of 732. By 800, there is evidence that churches in Ireland and Northumbria were holding a feast commemorating All Saints on November 1st. Alcuin of Northumbria, a member of Charlemagne's court, may then have introduced this November 1st date in the Frankish Empire. In 835, it became the official date in the Frankish Empire. Some suggest this was due to Celtic influence, while others suggest it was a Germanic idea although it is claimed that both Germanic and Celtic-speaking people commemorated the dead at the beginning of winter. They may have seen it as the most fitting time to do so, as it, was, as it is a time of dying in nature. It is also suggested the change was made on the practical grounds that Rome in summer could not accommodate the great number of pilgrims who flocked to it, and perhaps because of public health concerns over Roman fever, which claimed a number of lives during Rome's sultry summers. By the end of the 12th century, they had become holy days of obligation in Western Christianity and involved such traditions as ringing church bells for souls in purgatory. It was also customary for criers dressed in black to parade the streets, ringing a bell of mournful sound and calling on all good Christians to remember the poor souls. The All Hollow Tide custom of baking and sharing soul cakes for all Christian souls has been has been suggested as the origin of trick-or-treating and some of this stuff i really didn't know like 
I, I, I got a lot of this stuff. I got most of it off Wikipedia, but I really didn't I thought, know. Like Christians always hated Halloween. That's what I thought, and I was like, I didn't. They didn't teach me that in Christian school. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I did not know that there was Christian history with Halloween because I, because. I always thought that Halloween was, you know, related with paganism and Christians don't like paganism. Yeah, and like And that's I why think, like <laughs> the Day of the Dead was like Mexican culture. Yeah, Day of the Dead is, is Mexican. But like most people always think of it as secular. Yeah. Well, and that's why I don't know who's gonna listen to this episode. But don't get me wrong. I I believe I believe in Jesus. I'm I'm a Christian. I've been baptized as a Christian. But I do love learning about paganism. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, and I went to a Christian school. And mo- <laughs> yeah, most most Christians would. Whew, that's a shunning right there. But I mean, well, I, I like, huh? Sore pants. <laughs> where I'm from. <laughs> no, that's that's a. I thought pants was a Pentecostal thing. I don't know. I was required to wear skirts and dresses down to my knee every day. I always thought that was a Pentecostal thing, which I know is. Christian stuff, but I, I just oh, thought God it was. Forbid. I don't know. Anyways, you called the Southern Baptists. <laughs> okay. Um, the custom dates back at least as far as the 15th century and was founded in parts of England, Wales, Flanders, Bavaria, and Austria. Groups of poor people, often children, would go door to door during All Hollow Tide, collecting soul cakes. There was a bug on me. What the fuck? I don't know where it went. What kind of bug? Browned. I was like, what are you doing over there? I felt something tickle me. Oh my god. Uh, It's probably fine. It was probably just a fly or... Spooky. God, this is a... You're gonna have so much editing to do. I'm just sitting here reading and she's over there like moving and like doing weird things with her body and i'm like i got looking possessed. out of the corner of my eye i'm like what the fuck are you doing like okay I got the shivers now <laughs> i don't even okay i didn't even finish that sentence <laughs> okay sorry okay. like bugs <laughs> groups of poor people often children would go door to door during all hollow tide collecting soul cakes in exchange for praying for the dead, especially the souls of the giver's friends and relatives. This was called souling. Soul cakes were also offered for the souls themselves to eat, or the soulers would act as their representatives. Which I have heard. I did learn about that on, I think it was Cabinet of Curiosities. That's how um, they, (laughs) I know this is kind of off topic, but, um, there was a certain culture, and I don't remember which one it was. I don't know if it was Egyptian or whatever like that. I don't know. But there was a, there's a certain place that they believed that people who were unholy um, wouldn't go into heaven. So what they would do is they would feast, and they would eat off the body. And it would um, their sins would be put into the food, and then the people would eat the food and they would be like they're they were like sin collectors pretty much so they like ate the food and they would they would take on the per, the dead person's sin so that they could move on to heaven i'm not kidding i don't know well, that's very kind of them i know i don't remember exactly what it was called or exactly what um 
where it came from, but I do remember learning about it on Cabinet of Curiosities. So, so that, that kind of reminds me of that a little bit. As with the Lenten tradition of hot cross buns, soul cakes were often marked with a cross, indicating that they were baked as alms. Shakespeare mentions souling in his comedy The Two Gentlemen of Verona in 1593. While souling, Christians would carry lanterns made of hollowed-out turnips, which could have originally represented souls of the dead. Jack-o'-lanterns were used to ward off evil spirits. On All Saints and All Souls Day during the 19th century, candles were lit in homes in Ireland, Flanders, Bavaria, and Tyrol, where they were called soul lights that served to guide the souls back to visit their earthly homes. In many places, candles were also lit at graves on All Souls Day. In Brittany, libations of milk were poured on the graves of kinfolk, or food would be left overnight on the dinner table for the returning souls, a custom also found in Tyrol and parts of Italy. Christian minister Prince Sori Conta linked the wearing of costumes to the belief in vengeful ghosts. It was traditionally believed that the souls of the departed wandered the earth until All Saints Day and All Hallows' Eve provided one last chance for the dead to gain vengeance on their enemies before moving to the next world. In order to avoid being recognized by any soul that might be seeking such vengeance, people would wear masks or costumes. In the Middle Ages, churches in Europe that were too poor to display relics of martyred saints at all holotide let parishioners dress up as saints instead. Some Christians observe this custom at Halloween today. Leslie Banatine believes this could have been a Christianization of earlier pagan custom. Many Christians in mainland Europe, especially in France, believed that once a year on Halloween, the dead of the churchyards rose for one wild, hideous carnival known as the Dance Macabre, which was often depicted in church decoration. Christopher Almond and Rosamund McKitterick write in the New Cambridge Medieval History that the Dance Macabre urged Christians not to forget the end of all earthly things. The dance macabre was something enacted in European village pageants and court masks, with people dressing up as corpses from various strata of society, and this may be the origin of Halloween costume parties. In Britain, these customs came under attack during the Reformation as Protestants berated purgatory as a popish doctrine incompatible with the Calvinist doctrine of predestination. State-sanctioned ceremonies associated with the intercession of saints in prayer for souls in purgatory were abolished during the Elizabethan reform. Elizabethan. Well, too bad. <laughs> it's okay. Though All Hallows' Day remained in the English liturgical calendar to commemorate saints as godly human beings. <clears throat> Once again, excuse my pronunciation. <laughs> she just can't talk. It's okay, I can't either. For some nonconformist Protestants, the theology of All Hallows' Eve was redefined. Souls cannot be journeying from purgatory on their way to heaven, as Catholics frequently believe and assert. Instead, the so-called ghosts are thought to be, in actuality, evil spirits. Other Protestants believed in an intermediate state known as Hades. In some localities, Catholics and Protestants continued souling, candlelight processions, or ringing church bells for the dead. The Anglican church eventually suppressed this bell ringing. I wonder if that's why, like, I know like the church that Kenny went to, they, you know, they do, they ring bells and stuff around 
holidays mainly. I wonder if they, if, you know, if it's something that people still do without really thinking about it. Or I guess, I guess like they do it because it, they think it's keeping evil spirits away from the church still, maybe. I have no clue. I don't know either. <clears throat> Just made me think about that. And was like, I don't know. Mark Donnelly, a professor of medieval archaeology and historian Daniel Deal, write that barns and homes were blessed to protect people and livestock from the effect of witches, who were believed to accompany the malignant spirits as they traveled the earth. After 1605, Hollow Tide, November 5th, was eclipsed in England by Guy Fawkes' Night, which appropriated some of its customs. In England, the ending of official ceremonies related to the intercession of saints led to the development of new unofficial hollow tide customs. In 18th and 19th century rural Lancashire, Catholic families gathered on hills on the night of All Hallows' Eve. One held a bunch of burning straw on a pitchfork while the rest knelt around him, praying for the souls of relatives and friends until the flames went out. This was known as teen lay. There was a similar custom in Hertfordshire and the lighting of Tyndall fires in Derbyshire. Some suggested these Tyndalls were originally lit to guide the poor souls back to earth. In Scotland and Ireland, old All Hollow Tide customs that were at odds with the with reformed teaching were not suppressed Jenny, as they It was in my underwear. Oh my god. Uh, on the floor. I don't know what it is. Ew. Fucking ladybug. Really? Well, don't kill it. That's bad luck. Just I leave know. it. Eli will find it later. I can't believe it was in my... I felt it crawling <laughs> on my butt. <laughs> what color is it? Like a reddish orange. Oh, okay. <clears throat> God, this don't, is a terrible episode. <laughs> <laughs> don't... I can see it crawling. That's okay. Don't, don't kill it. Eli will find it later. It'll be all right. <laughs> At least now I know it's gone. I'm gonna reread this sentence, this whole paragraph over again, because I can't get through a sentence. Every time I'm halfway through a sentence, you freak out about the bug. It keeps terrorizing me. Oh my god. Uh, okay. In Scotland and Ireland, old All Hollow Tide customs that were at odds with Reform teaching were not suppressed as they were important to the life cycle and rites of passage of local communities, and curbing them would have been difficult. I'm really tempted to not, to just edit out, like, the burps and the hiccups and stuff like that and just leave everything else so that you guys can actually, like, see what we go through <laughs> with each other when we're, like, day is rough. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, a, a completely, like, non-edited episode except for, you know, like, the gross stuff, like, the can opening and because I was thirsty or, like, the burps and the hiccups and stuff like that because... I just would love to see what you guys think about what the hell All the we stupid <laughs> shit I say. <laughs> I really don't want to edit out you. <laughs> you with this bug. <laughs> Where did it go? This is going to be so much fun to listen back to. Oh, God. I'm already crying. In parts of Italy until the 15th century, families left a meal out for the ghost of relatives before leaving for church services. In 19th century Italy, churches staged theatrical reenactments of scenes from the lives of the saints. 
on All Hallows Day with participants represented by realistic wax figures. In 1823, the graveyard of Holy Spirit Hospital in Rome presented a scene in which bodies of those who recently died were arrayed around a wax statue of an angel who pointed up towards heaven. In the same country, parish priest went house to house asking for small gifts of food which they shared among themselves throughout that night. In Spain, they continue to bake special pastries called Bones of the Holy, or for Spanish, Huesos de Santo, I believe, and set them on graves. At cemeteries in Spain and France, as well in Latin America, priests led Christian processions and services during All Hallowtide, after which people keep an all-night vigil. In 19th century San Sebastian, there was a procession to the city cemetery at All Hallowtide, an event that drew beggars who appealed to the tender recollections of one's deceased relations and friends for sympathy. I don't like the wax figures. That's creepy. Especially I mean. when was that? Um, 15th century. No, 19th century Italy. Yeah. It still couldn't have been. That's, I was, I was, 19th they're century. They're creepy today. That's only 200 years ago. <laughs> like, they're creepy now. I know. Like, how did they look then? It made me think of, um, House of Wax, my favorite movie. One of my favorite movies. It's a stupid movie, but it's, it's a good movie. It has a song by My Chemical Romance in it. It does. I had a problem in middle school, okay? <laughs> you still have a problem. I don't <laughs> even want to hear it. Oh, God. Now we're going to Gaelic Influence. Today's Halloween customs are thought to have been influenced by folk customs and beliefs from the Celtic-speaking countries, some of which are believed to have pagan roots. Jack Santino, a folklorist, writes that there was, throughout Ireland, an uneasy truce existing between customs and beliefs associated with Christianity and those associated with religions that were Irish before Christianity arrived. The origins of Halloween customs are typically linked to the Gaelic festival Samhain. Samhain is one of the quarter days in the medieval Gaelic calendar and has been celebrated on October 31st through November 1st in Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man. A kindred festival has been held by the Britonic Celts. <laughs> I always want to say Celts, but that doesn't sound right. Because I think the basketball team, I think it's basketball, Boston Celtics, I think that's how you say that like the team name is the Boston Celtics, but the actual like people were Boston. Celtic. I know the actual people were Celtic. Okay, so I I don't know, and I could be wrong about the Boston Celtics, but that's how I've always said it. So I don't know if I'm wrong. You can correct me. I don't care. <laughs> so a kindred festival has been held by the Britonic Celts called Colin Geff in Wales. Colin. Guav in Cornwall and Colin Gnv in Brittany. G O A N with a little squiggly above it and a V. So, Gonv? Yeah. <laughs> a name meaning first day of winter. For the Celts, the day ended and began at sunset. Thus, the festival began the evening before the 1st of November by modern reckoning. Samhain is mentioned in some of the earliest Irish literature. There, the names have been used by historians to refer to Celtic Halloween costumes up until the 19th century and are still the Gaelic and Welsh names for Halloween. Look, you brought 
bugs into this room because a freaking gnat just flew across me when I was trying to read. That's a you problem. You brought the bugs in here. Ow. How did a ladybug get in here? How did a ladybug get in your pants? How did a ladybug? It was on my neck first. It got in your pants. Because I flipped it off. And, <laughs> and these you pants are short, so I have a plumber's crack, okay? Oh, my God. You brought bugs in here. <laughs> um, uh, mm, I don't know if I, I'm going to read over. I'm going to start over. Sam Sawin is mentioned in some of the earliest Irish literature. The names have been used by historians to refer to Celtic Halloween costumes up until the 19th century and are still the Gaelic and Welsh names for Halloween. Sawin marked the end of the harvest season and beginning of the winter or the darker half of the year. It was seen as a liminal time when the boundary between this world and the other world thinned. This meant that the AOC the spirits or fairies could more easily come into this world and were particularly active. Most scholars see them as degraded versions of ancient gods whose power remained active in the people's minds even after they had been officially replaced by later religious belief. They were both respected and feared with individuals often invoking the protection of God when approaching their dwellings. At Sawin, the AOC were appeased to ensure the people and livestock survived the winter. Offerings of food and drink or portions of the crops were left outside for them. The souls of the dead were said to revisit their homes seeking hospitality. Places were set at the dinner table and by the fire to welcome them. The belief that the souls of the dead return home on one night of the year and must be appeased seems to have ancient origins and is found in many cultures. In 19th century Ireland, candles would be lit and prayers formally offered for the souls of the dead. After this, the eating and drinking games would begin. Throughout Ireland and Britain, especially in the Celtic-speaking regions, the household festivities included divination rituals and games intended to foretell one's future, especially regarding death and marriage. Apples and nuts were often used, and customs included apple bobbing, nut roasting, scrying, or mirror gazing, pouring molten lead or egg whites into water, dream interpretation, and others. Special bonfires were lit, and there were rituals involving them. Their flames, smoke, and ashes were deemed to have protective and cleansing powers. In some place, torches lit from the bonfire were carried sunwise around homes and fields to protect them. It is suggested the fires were a kind of imitative or sympathetic magic. They mimicked the sun and held back the decay and darkness of winter. They were also used for divination and to ward off evil spirits. In Scotland, these bonfires and divination games were banned by the church elders in some parishes. In Wales, bonfires were also lit to prevent the souls of the dead from falling to earth. Later, these bonfires kept away the devil. From at least the 16th century, the festival included mumming and guising in Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man in Wales. This involved people going house to house in costume or in disguise, usually reciting verses or songs in exchange for food. It may have originally been a tradition whereby people impersonated the AOC or the souls of the dead and received offerings on their behalf, similar to souling. Impersonating these beings or wearing a disguise was also believed to protect oneself from them. In parts of Southern Ireland, the geysers included a hobby horse. A man dressed as a Lairban, white mare, led youths house to house reciting verses, some of which had pagan overtones, in exchange for food. 
If the household donated food, it could expect good fortune from the Muckola. Not doing so would bring misfortune. In Scotland, youths went house to house with masks painted or blackened faces, often, often threatening to do mischief if they were not welcomed. F. Marion McNeil suggests the ancient festival included people in costume representing the spirits and that faces were marked or blackened with ashes <clears throat> from the sacred bonfire. In parts of Wales, men went about dressed as fearsome beings called hmm, gra Grachod. In the late 19th and early 20th century, young people in Glamorgan and Orkney cross-dressed. Wow. Slay queen. <laughs> Elsewhere in Europe, mumming was part of other festivals. But in the Celtic-speaking regions, it was particularly appropriate to a night upon which supernatural beings were said to be abroad and could be imitated or warded off by human wanderers. From at least the 18th century, imitating malignant spirits led to playing pranks in Ireland and the Scottish Highlands. Wearing costumes and playing pranks at Halloween did not spread to England until the 20th century. Pranksters used hollowed-out turnips and mangle wurzels as lanterns, often carved with grotesque faces. By those who made them, the lanterns were, ver were variously said to represent the spirits or used to ward off evil spirits. They were common in parts of Ireland and, Scottish and the Scottish Highlands in the 19th century, as well as in Somerset. In the 20th century, they spread to other parts of Britain and became generally known as jack-o'-lanterns. Symbols of Halloween Development of artifacts and symbols associated with Halloween formed over time. Jack-o'-lanterns are traditionally carried by geysers on All Hallows' Eve in order to frighten evil spirits. There's a popular Irish Christian folklore associated with the jack-o'-lantern, which in folklore is said to represent a soul who has been denied entry into both heaven and hell. En route home after a night's drinking, Jack encounters the devil and tricks him into climbing a tree. A quick-thinking Jack etches the sign of a cross into the bark, thus trapping the devil. Jack strikes a bargain that Satan can never claim his soul. After a life of sin, drink, and mendicity, Jack is refused entry to heaven when he dies. Keeping his promise, the devil refuses to let Jack into hell and throws a live coal straight from the fires of hell at him. It was a cold night, so Jack places the coal in a hollowed-out turnip to stop it from going out. Since which time, Jack and his lantern have been roaming looking for a place to rest. In Ireland and Scotland, the turnip has traditionally been carved during Halloween, but immigrants to North America used the native pumpkin, which is both much softer and much larger, making it easier to carve than a turnip. The American tradition of carving pumpkins is recorded in 1837 and was originally associated with harvest time in general, not becoming specifically associated with Halloween until the mid to late 19th century. I did not know that story about Jack and the jack-o'-lantern, though. That's pretty cool. So <laughs> It makes sense, though. Yeah, like, I feel like it's kind of back there, but I don't really remember it. Right. I don't know. The modern imagery of Halloween comes from many sources, including Kristen Escat eschatology, national customs, works of gothic and horror literature, such as the novels Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus and Dracula, and classic horror films such as Frankenstein 1931 and The Mummy 1932. 
Imagery of the skull, reference to Golgotha in the Christian tradition, serves as a reminder of death and the transitory quality of human life, and is consequently found in Memento Mori and Vanitas comp compositions. Skulls have therefore been commonplace in, Hall in Halloween, which touches on this theme. Traditionally, the back walls of churches are decorated with a depiction of the Last Judgment, complete with graves opening and the dead rising, with angels and a hell filled with devils, a motif that has permeated the observance of this tridom. One of the earliest works on this subject of Halloween is from Scottish poet John Mayne, who, in 1780, made notes of pranks at Halloween. What fearful pranks ensue! as a well of the supernatural associated with the night bogeys, ghosts, influencing Robert Burns' Halloween, 1785. I didn't know that there was a Halloween movie in 1785. You didn't have movies then. Then what is it? Maybe it's like a play. Maybe it is a play. Okay. We'll have to see if we can find it, though. That'd be cool. It's probably really weird. <laughs> yeah. Elements of the autumn season, such as pumpkins, corn husk, and scarecrows, are also prevalent. Homes are often decorated with these types of symbols around Halloween. Halloween imagery includes themes of death, evil, and mythical monsters. Black cats, which have long been associated with witches, are also a common symbol of Halloween. Black, orange, and sometimes purple are Halloween's traditional colors. Who told me that green was a Halloween color and purple wasn't? It wasn't me. I think it was Rena. Oh, I don't, I never heard that. Because I bought four colored solo cups for my party. Four colors. So they're orange, purple, green, and blue. Because I wanted orange ones. And I could only get them in the four pack. I didn't, were they Halloween, like a like a holiday type? Or just, just like, like a party pack. A party pack. I, was I couldn't say, find I actual Halloween ones. I, I do not associate blue with Halloween. Well, yeah, but like. I can understand. I associate purple before green. Right. I associate purple before green because most witch costumes yeah. have purple in them. So, I don't know. Yeah. That's weird. I don't I don't know about green. I mean, I, mean, like, I painted... I guess witches are green. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The only green I ever really did... I, I'm we... right. She's wrong. <laughs> we, we painted... We painted pumpkins... Either last year or the year before. And I did a Beetlejuice pumpkin. I painted it white with black stripes and green dots because, you know, Beetlejuice. But I don't know. Yeah, no. Trick-or-treating. Trick-or-treating is a customary celebration for children on Halloween. Children go in costume from house to house asking for treats such as candy or sometimes money with the question trick-or-treat. Uh, money. I, I never got money as a I kid I didn't get no that. money. And I never asked for money. Yeah. What? What kind of kids are these? Where, where are these children from? And <laughs> we need to learn their hustling business. Because yeah. <laughs> I was never given money. No. I, okay. I was always, I guess, okay, so like I was always told like, we did this one year here because we didn't have any candy. So we, um, Tim was like, we had trick-or-treaters come up. We never really have trick-or-treaters come up here. So we never really give out candy. Well, Tim didn't have any candy, and he was like, here, just give them, like, $2 each. Nice. Yeah. But I don't expect that. I mean, that's what... Is that what it's like to be rich? You know, I, that's what I was getting ready to say, is that they're, you know, in some of the rich neighborhoods, 
That's what I've been told is like you get like big giant candy bars the and like a five dollar bill. Fucking ladybug was on my leg. <laughs> is there more than one or something? I think you're just It's ah! just a ladybug. It tickles and it scares me. <laughs> okay. He probably killed it. I hope so. Oh my god. It's bad luck to kill a ladybug. Well, he should stop touching me. I do not consent. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> okay. I'm a mess today, man. Mm. Okay. Eat something. <laughs> the word trick implies a threat to perform mischief on the homeowners or their property if no treat is given. The practice is said to have roots in the medieval practice of mumming, which is closely related to souling. John Pym wrote that many of the feast days associated with the presentation of mumming plays were celebrated by the Christian church. These feast days included All Hallows' Eve, Christmas, Twelfth Night, and Shrove Tuesday. Mumming practiced in Germany, Scandinavia, and other parts of Europe involved masked persons in fancy dress who paraded the streets and entered houses to dance or play dice in silence. In England, from the medieval period up until the 1930s, people practiced the Christian custom of souling on Halloween, which involved groups of soulers, both Protestant and Catholic, going from parish to parish begging the rich for soul cakes in exchange for praying for the souls of the givers and their friends. In the Philippines, the practice of souling is called Pangangaluluwa and is practiced on All Hallows' Eve among children in rural areas. People drape themselves in white cloths to represent souls and then visit houses where they sing in return for prayers and sweets. That's neat and that's a very long word. I didn't Never not. ask me to say that again. <laughs> In Scotland and Ireland, guising children disguised in costume going from door to door for food or coins. Why? Where are these children getting coins? I want coins. I'll give you... <laughs> what is that meme that... Um, I have wares if you have coins. That's what it is. I'll give... Uh, that's what I'll be like. pr I'll pray for your family if you give me coins. <laughs> oh my god. I'm going to do that this year. I know, right? Uh, but apparently going from door to door and food to food for coins, or food or coins is a traditional Halloween custom in Scotland and Ireland. It is recorded in Scotland at Halloween in 1895, where masqueraders in disguise carrying lanterns made out of scooped out turnips visit homes to be rewarded with cakes, fruit, and money. I want a cake. In Ireland, the most popular phrase for kids to shout until the 2000s was help the Halloween party. The practice. And I just missed it. What? I was born in 2000. No, oh my God. <laughs> the practice of guising at Halloween in North America was first recorded in 1911, where news where a newspaper in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, reported children going guising around the neighborhood. American historian and author Ruth Edna Kelly of Massachusetts wrote the first book-length history on hall of Halloween in the U.S. The Book of Halloween in 1919. And the references souling in the chapter Halloween in America. In her book, Kelly touches on customs that arrived from across the Atlantic. Americans have fostered them and are making this an occasion something like what it must have been in the best in its best days overseas. 
all Halloween customs in the United States are borrowed directly or adapted from those of other countries. While the first reference to guising in North America occurs in 1911, another reference to ritual begging on Halloween appears place unknown in 1915, with a third reference in Chicago in 1920. The earliest known use in print of the term trick-or-treat appears in 1927 in the Blackie Herald of Alberta, Canada. The thousands of Halloween postcards produced between the 20 between the turn of the 20th century and the 1920s commonly show children but not trick-or-treating. Trick-or-treating does not seem to have been have does not seem to have become a widespread practice in North America until the 1930s. With the first U.S. appearance of the term in 1934, in the first use in a national publication occurring in 1939, a popular variant of trick-or-treating known as trunk-or-treating or Halloween tailgating occurs when children are offered treats from the trunks of cars parked in a church parking lot or sometimes a school parking lot. In a trunk-or-treat event, the trunk of each automobile is decorated with a certain theme, such as those of children's literature, movies, scripture, and job roles. Trunk retreating has grown in popularity to, due to its perception as being more safe than going door-to-door, a point that resonates well with parents as well as the fact that it solves, a, it solves the rural conundrum in which homes are built a half mile apart. <laughs> yep. Yeah, for real. I mean, like, we live on a super busy road, so no one, like, you'll get hit by a car if you try to trick-or-treat. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, here they live in a neighborhood, so that they're not, you know, that trunk-or-treat wouldn't be done here. Although there is, like, two churches right down the road. Yeah. But even still. I always wondered why churches did trunk-or-treat. I. Because, you know, and we talked about, we thought that Halloween was secular. Right. But, like, some just don't care. No. I know the one I went to would never. <laughs> I went to a trunk or treat. I believe it was at a Baptist church one time, which shocks me. But yeah, some of them do, but not the one I went to. Yeah, I don't know. So costumes, Halloween costumes were traditionally modeled after figures such as vampires, ghosts, skeletons, scary-looking witches, and devils. Over time, the costume selection extended. To include popular characters from fiction, celebrities, and generic archetypes such as ninjas and princesses. Dressing up in costumes and going guising was prevalent in Scotland and Ireland at Halloween by the late 19th century. A Scottish term, the tradition is called guising because of the disguises or costumes worn by the children. In Ireland, the masks are known as false faces. Costuming began popular for Halloween parties in the U.S. in the early 20th century as often for adults as for children, and when trick-or-treating was becoming popular in Canada and the U.S. in the 1920s and 1930s. Eddie J. Smith, in his book Halloween, Hallowed is Thy Name, offers a religious perspective to the wearing of costumes on All Hallows' Eve, suggesting that by dressing up as creatures, who at one time caused us to fear and tremble, people are able to poke fun at Satan, whose kingdom has been plundered by our Savior. Images of skeletons and the dead are traditional decorations used as memento mori. Trick or Treat for UNICEF is a fundraising program to support UNICEF, a United Nations program that provides humanitarian aid to children in developing countries. Started as a local event, 
in a northeast Philadelphia neighborhood in 1950 and expanded nationally in 1952, the program involves the distribution of small boxes of schools or in modern times corporate sponsors like Hallmark at their licensed stores to trick-or-treaters in which they can solicit small change donations from the houses they visit. It is estimated that children have collected more than $118 million for UNICEF since its inspect since its inception. In Canada in 2006, UNICEF decided to discontinue their Halloween collection boxes, citing safety and administrative concerns. After consultation with schools, they instead redesigned the program. The yearly New York's Village Halloween Parade was begun in 1974. It is the world's largest Halloween parade and America's only major nighttime parade, attracting more than 60,000 costumed participants, 2 million spectators, and a worldwide television audience. What did I know about this? Did you know about that? No. I didn't know about that. We should check that out. See if we can find it on, like, YouTube. Since the late 2010s, ethnic stereotypes as costumes have increasingly come under scrutiny in the United States. Such and such and other potentially offensive costumes have been met with increasing public disapproval. Well, you shouldn't wear costumes that are gonna offend somebody, but then again, also, you really just shouldn't be that offended, I guess. People's... I guess they didn't really realize what they were doing in, like, the 70s and 80s and even 90s. Right. And now it's more thing, like, oh, yeah, we sh- we shouldn't have done that. Like, right. cultural appropriation and stuff. Yeah. Like, I guess, like, dressing up as, like, a native. Yeah. Like, like an Indian, Native American Indian, whatever. But people also got offended when people started dressing up as, like, priests and nuns and stuff, too. There'll be a nun at my Halloween party. <laughs> a sexy nun. Oh, Shout God. out to you, okay. Ava. Work oh. it, girl. Okay. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Pet costumes. According to a 2018 report from the National Retail Federation, 30 million Americans will spend an estimated $490 million on Halloween costumes for their pets in 2018. This is up from an estimated $200 million in 2010. The most popular costumes for pets are the pumpkin, which I have for Luna and Leo, followed by the hot dog and the bumblebee in third place. I have pumpkin costumes for Luna and Leo, and I put them in it every year. And they hate me for it. I wanted to get Jaeger the old grandma costume with, like, a granny wig and, like, floral dress, (laughs) even though he's a boy. He's such a grandma. We got, I think we got Eli a costume, but... Lord knows, putting no. anything. I mean, I you have to hold that cat like he Kenny has to hold the cat by like the nape of his neck so he doesn't move just for me to cut his nails. And I had to cut his nail one day because his one of his nails had curled so bad and it was like puncturing his paw pad. Does he not like scratch things? He'll scratch the carpet. I mean. In his defense, she is tearing up all the carpet in this house. So the only carpet that he has is this room, um, their bedroom, the stairs, and then the carpet by the back door. But, I mean. Does he not like scratching trees? No. He's got the one that he has down there by the back door. He lays in it. Have you not? If you've ever looked at it, if you've ever looked at it, it's not torn up. He's he does not he does not care. 
He's such a brat. <laughs> and his paw pad. And, and what's, what's weird is he never said anything. All you could hear was like, you could hear him like tipping, you know, tapping on the floor when he was walking. And I picked him up one day and, and that thing, I mean, it was like protruding into his paw pad. And I'm like, dude, why didn't you say something? Like, I don't know. He's a weird cat. So games and other activities. There are several games traditionally associated with Halloween. Some of these games originated as divination rituals or ways of foretelling one's future, especially regarding death, marriage, and children. During the Middle Ages, these rituals were done by a rare few in rural communities as they were considered to be deadly serious practices. In recent centuries, these divination games have been a common feature of the household festivities in Ireland and Britain. They often involve apples and hazelnuts. In Celtic mythology, apples were strongly associated with the other world and immortality, while hazelnuts were associated with divine wisdom. Some of these, some also suggest that they derive from Roman practices in celebration of Pomona. The following activities were a common feature of Halloween in Ireland and Britain during the 17th to 20th centuries. Some have become more widespread and continue to be popular today. One common game is apple bobbing or dunking, which may be called duking in Scotland, in which apples float in a tub or a large basin of water and the participants must use only their teeth to remove an apple from the basin. A variant of dunking involves kneeling on a chair, holding a fork between the teeth, and trying to drive the fork into an apple. Another common game involves hanging up treacle or syrup, coated scones by strings. These must be eaten without using hands while they remain attached to the string, an activity that inevitably leads to a sticky face. I have done that, but with Rice Krispie Treats. Oh boy. <laughs> and I was completely blackout drunk. <laughs> oh my god. On Halloween, that's when I did it too. I've tried to apple bob before. Didn't work out for me. My mouth is, or my teeth I guess, aren't like... It's not as easy as it looks. Yeah, it's not. It's really not. And it's not as fun as it looks either. And now that I think about it, it's not very sanitary. No. I bet with COVID, they probably stopped doing that. I'll have it at my party just for fun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just kidding. I'm not going to buy apples. I'm lazy. Another once popular game involves hanging a small wooden rod from the ceiling at head height with a lit candle on one end and an apple hanging from the other. The rod is spun round and everyone takes turns trying to catch the apple with their teeth. Now you want to talk about unsanitary. That <laughs> and why is there a candle on the other end? And it's lit. Yeah. And you're inside a house. Like, first, that's so unsanitary. And then that's so unsafe. That's a one way to start a house fire. Like, what, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Several of the traditional activities from Ireland and Britain... Involved for telling one's future partner or spouse. An apple would be peeled in one long strip, then peeled, then the peel tossed over the shoulder. The peel is believed to land in the shape of the first letter of the future spouse's name. Two hazelnuts would be roasted near a fire. One, name, one named for the person roasting them and the other for the person they desire. If the nuts jump away from the heat, it's a bad sign. But if the nuts roast quietly, it foretells a good match. For some reason, I feel like it probably always, they always probably jump away from the heat. 
I just don't see how that. I don't that's... think an apple peel would ever turn into the letter W. <laughs> or K. Yeah. <laughs> We're guaranteed to fail. I know. <laughs> oh, gosh. A salty oatmeal bannock would be baked. The person would eat it in three bites. I don't know how big that is. I don't know what a, ba- an, a salty oatmeal bannock is. I would really like to know. I don't know. I just want to know how somebody can eat that in three bites. Um, and then go to bed in silence without anything to drink. This is said to result in a dream in which their future spouse offers them a drink to quench their thirst. Unmarried women were told that if they sat in a darkened room and gazed into a mirror on Halloween night, the face of their future husband would appear in the mirror. The custom was widespread enough to be commemorated on greeting cards from the late 19th century and early 20th century. I, no, I'm not sitting in front of a mirror like that at night. <laughs> that's just, that's a for sure way Bloody to get. Mary. No, <laughs> Another popular Irish game was known as Puccini. I hope I said that right. Or blindfolds. A person would be blindfolded and then would choose between several saucers. The item in the saucer would provide a hint as to their future. A ring would mean that they would marry soon. Clay, that they would die soon. Perhaps within the year. Water, that they would emigrate. Rosary beads, that they would take holy orders, become a nun, priest, monk, etc. A coin, that they would become rich. A bean, that they would be poor. The game features prominently in the James Joyce 1914 short story, Clay. Ooh, that's just sad. I would not want to get a clay or um, a rosary. Yeah, a rosary. I'll take the bean. I'll take the bean. I already have a bean, apparently. Oh, my God. Because I'm broke. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) In Ireland and Scotland, items would be hidden in food. Usually a cake, barmbrack, crenachin, champ, or coal cannon, and portions of it served out at random. A person's future would be foretold by the item they happen to find. For example, a ring meant marriage and a coin meant wealth. Up until the 19th century, the Halloween bonfires were also used for divination in parts of Scotland, Wales, and Brittany. When the fire died down, a ring of stones would be laid in the ashes, one for each person. In the morning, if any stone was mislaid, it was said that the person it represented would not live out the year. Telling ghost stories, listening to Halloween-themed songs, and watching horror films are common fixtures of Halloween parties. Episodes of television series and Halloween-themed specials, with the specials usually aimed at children, are commonly aired on or before Halloween, while new horror films are often released before Halloween to take advantage of the holiday. Okay, so now we're getting into haunted attractions, which is what we're going to go to tonight. So excited. Haunted attractions are entertainment venues designed to throw and scare patrons. Most attractions are seasonal Halloween businesses that may include haunted houses, corn mazes, and hay rides, and the level of sophistication of the effects has risen as the industry has grown. The first recorded purpose-built haunted attraction was the Orton and Spooner Ghost House, which opened in 1915 in Lip Hook, England. Uh, This attraction actually most closely resembles a carnival fun house powered by steam. The house still exists in the Hollycomb Steam Collection. It was during the 1930s, about the same time as trick-or-treating, that Halloween-themed haunted houses first began to appear in America. 
It was in the late 1950s that haunted houses as a major attraction began to appear, focusing first on California. Sponsored by the Children's Health Home Junior Auxiliary, the San Mateo Haunted House opened in 1957. The San Bernardino Assistance League Haunted House opened in 1958. Homes, home haunts began appearing across the country during 1962 and 1963. And in 1964, the San Mateo Haunted House opened as well as the Children's Museum Haunted House in Indianapolis. The Haunted House as an American cultural icon can be attributed to the opening of the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland on August 12, 1969. Knott's Berry Farm began hosting its own Halloween night attraction, Knott's Scary Farm, which opened in 1973. Evangelical Christians adopted a form of these attractions by opening one of the first Hell Houses in 1972. The first Halloween Haunted House, run by a nonprofit organization, was produced in 1970 by the Sycamore Deer Park JCs in Clifton, Ohio. It was co-sponsored by WSAI, an AM radio station broadcasting out of Cincinnati, Ohio. It was last produced in 1982. Other JCs followed suit with their own versions after the success of the Ohio House. The March of Dimes copyrighted a mini haunted house for the March of Dimes in 1976 and began fundraising through their local chapters by conducting haunted houses soon after. Although they apparently quit supporting this type of event nationally sometime in the 1980s, some March of Dimes haunted houses have persisted until today. On the evening of May 11, 1984, in Jackson, Jackson Township, New Jersey, the haunted castle, Six Flags Great Adventure, caught fire. As a result of the fire, eight teenagers perished. The backlash to the tragedy was a tightening of regulations relating to safety building codes and the frequency of inspections of attractions nationwide. The smaller venues, especially the nonprofit attractions, were unable to compete financially and the better funded commercial enterprises filled the vacuum. Facilities that were once able to avoid regulation because they were considered to be a temporary installations now had to adhere to the stricter codes required of permanent attractions. In the late 1980s and early 1990s, theme parks entered the business seriously. Six Flags Fright Fest began in 1986, and Universal Studios Florida began Halloween Horror Nights in 1991. Not Scary Farm experienced a surge in attendance and the 1990s as a result of America's obsession with Halloween as a cultural event. Um, it caught fire because Six Flags is just... Cursed? Yeah. <clears throat> that's what I was... <laughs> I was that's why, because... See? You brought the bugs. There was another one. Yeah, I told Kenny that I wanted to go to Six Flags one day, one year, and he was like, uh, no. That's how people die. I was like, oh, okay. I know that. <laughs> Theme parks have played a major role in globalizing the holiday. Universal Studios Singapore and Universal Studios Japan both participate, while Disney now mounts Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party events at its parks in Paris, Hong Kong, and Tokyo, as well as in the United States. Theme park haunts are by far the largest, both in scale and attendance. Okay, so now we're going to move on to food that is associated with Halloween. On All Hallows' Eve, many Western Christian denominations encourage abstinence from meat, giving rise to a variety of vegetarian foods associated with this day. Because in the Northern Hemisphere, Halloween comes in the wake of the year 
in the wake of the yearly apple harvest, candy apples, known as toffee apples outside of North America, caramel apples or taffy apples are commonly Halloween treats made by rolling apples in a sticker in a sticky sugary syrup. Say that three times fast. Sometimes followed by rolling them in nuts. At one time, candy apples were commonly given to trick-or-treating children, but the practice rapidly waned in the wake of widespread rumors that some individuals were embedding items like pins and razor blades in the apples in the in the apples in the United States. Yeah, like this year where you have to watch out for fentanyl. Yeah. Yeah. While there's evidence of such incidents, relative to the degree of reporting of such cases, actual cases involving malicious acts are extremely rare and have never resulted in serious injury. Nonetheless, many parents assumed that such heinous practices were rampant because of the mass media. At the peak of the hysteria, some hospitals offered free x-rays of children's Halloween halls in order to find evidence of tampering. Virtually all of the few known candy poisoning incidents involved parents who poisoned their own children's candy. That's messed up. Yeah, what? Like, Some hospitals offered free x-rays of children, children's Halloween. Oh my god. Why would they do that? Social media and the news. I mean, that's worse than like... That's worse than like razor blades and worse than pretty colored fentanyl like what getting your food x-rayed no but just no or the parents poisoning. the parents yeah. poisoning them it's like <sighs> what's wrong with you yeah yeah one custom that persists in modern day ireland is the baking or more often nowadays the purchase of a barmbrack, which is a light fruit cake in which a plain ring, a coin, and other charms are placed before baking, it is considered fortunate to be the lucky one who finds it. It has also been said that those who get a ring will find their true love in the ensuing year. This is similar to the tradition of king cake at the festival of Epiphany. So here's some foods that are associated with Halloween: barmbrack in Ireland, bonfire toffee in Great Britain. Candy apples and toffee apples are in Great Britain, Ireland. And then candy apples, candy corn, candy pumpkins are in North America. Candy pumpkins are nasty. You cannot tell me otherwise. And so are candy corns. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And then I guess chocolate is kind of national. Like everyone does it. Mm-hmm. Monkey nuts, which is just peanuts in their shell in Ireland and Scotland. Caramel apples, caramel corn. Coal Cannon in Ireland, and Halloween Cake, Sweets and Candies, Novelty Candy, shaped like skulls, pumpkins, bats, worms, Roasted Pumpkin Seeds, Roasted Sweet Corn, Soul Cakes, and Pumpkin Pie. Pumpkin Pie is something that you should have all year round. With lots of whipped cream. Yes. Homemade whipped cream. Eh. I like it better. Eh. Eh. So, other celebrations and perspectives. So, now we're going to go over some uh, other religions that may or may not celebrate Halloween and why. Um, So, Judaism. Uh, According to Alfred J. Kolech in the Second Jewish Book of Why in Judaism, Halloween is not permitted by Jewish halakha. I hope I say that right. Because it violates Leviticus 18.3, which forbids Jews from partaking in Gentile customs. Many Jews observe Yizkor, of, I hope I said that right too, 
communally four times a year, which is vaguely similar to the observance of All Hollow Tide in Christianity, in the sense that prayers are said for both martyrs and for one's own family. Nevertheless, many American Jews celebrate Halloween, disconnected from its Christian origins. Reform Rabbi Jeffrey Goldwasser has said that there is no religious reason why contemporary Jews should not celebrate Halloween, while Orthodox Rabbi Michael Broidy has argued against Jews observing the holiday. Islam. Sheikh Idris Palmer, author of A Brief Illustrated Guide to Understanding Islam, has ruled that Muslims should not participate in Halloween, stating that Participation in Halloween is worse than participation in Christmas Easter. It is more sinful than congratulating the Christians for their prostration to the crucifix. It has also been ruled to be haram by the National Fatwa Council of Malaysia because of its alleged pagan roots, stating that Halloween is celebrated using a humorous theme mixed with horror to entertain and resist the spirit, the spirit of death that influences humans. Dar al-Ifta al-Misriya disagrees, provided the celebration does not refer to as an Ed, and that behavior remains in line with Islamic principles. Hinduism. Hindus remember the dead during the festival of Pitru Paksha, during which Hindus pay homage to and perform a ceremony to keep the souls of their ancestors at rest. It is celebrated in the Hindu month of Badrapada, usually in mid-September. The celebration of the Hindu festival Diwali sometimes conflicts with the date of Halloween, but some Hindus choose to participate in the popular customs of Halloween. Other Hindus, such as Sumya Dasgupta, have opposed to celebration on the grounds that Western holidays like Halloween have begun to adversely affect our indigenous festivals. Neopaganism. There is no consistent rule or view on Halloween amongst those who describe themselves as neo-pagans or Wiccans. Some neo-pagans do not observe Halloween, but instead observe Samhain on November 1st. Some neo-pagans do enjoy Halloween festivities, stating that one can observe both the solemnity of Samhain in addition to the fun of Halloween. Some neo-pagans are opposed to the celebration of Halloween, stating that it trivializes Samhain and avoid Halloween because of the interruptions from trick-or-treaters. Manit Oban writes that Wiccans don't officially celebrate Halloween, despite the fact that October 31st will still have a star beside it in any good Wiccans day planner. Starting at sundown, Wiccans celebrate a holiday known as Samhain. Samhain actually comes from the old Celtic traditions and is not exclusive to neo-pagan religions like Wicca. While the traditions of this holiday originated in Celtic countries, modern-day Wiccans don't try to historically replicate Samhain celebrations. Some traditional Samhain rituals are still practiced, but at its core, the period is treated as a time to celebrate darkness and the dead, a possible, re- possible reason why Samhain can be confused with Halloween celebrations. I know that was a Samhain, lot. Samhain, Samhain, Samhain. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so Halloween parties. By the 1920s and 1930s, Halloween had become a secular but community-centered holiday, with parades and town-wide Halloween parties as the featured entertainment. Despite the best efforts of many schools and communities, vandalism began 
to plague some celebrations in many communities during this time. By the 1950s, town leaders had successfully limited vandalism and Halloween had evolved into a holiday directed mainly at the young. Due to the high numbers of young children during the 50s baby boom, parties moved from town civic centers into classrooms or home where they could be more easily accommodated. Between 1920 and 1950, the centuries-old practice of trick-or-treating was also revived. Trick-or-treating was a relatively inexpensive way for an entire community to share the Halloween celebration. In theory, families could also prevent tricks being played on them by providing the neighborhood children with small treats. Thus, a new American tradition was born, and it has continued to grow. Today, Americans spend an estimated $6 billion annually on Halloween, making it the country's second largest commercial holiday after Christmas. Like, um, on the road right outside of y'all's, mm -hmm. they have that 10-foot skeleton from I know. Lowe's Hardware, and yeah. I'm like, I'm going to steal it on <laughs> the back of my car. Oh, have you seen the neighbors down there? No. At the end of the cul-de-sac? Mm-mm. When we, when we leave later, you should see it. They have a big, uh, like, Frankenstein-type thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> I want that 10-foot skeleton so bad. <laughs> Black cats and ghosts on Halloween. Halloween has always been a holiday filled with mystery, magic, and superstition. It began as a Celtic and a summer festival during which people felt especially close to deceased relatives and friends. For these friendly spirits, they set places at the dinner table, left treats on doorsteps and along the side of the road, and lit candles to help loved ones find their way back to the spirit world. Today's Halloween ghosts are often depicted as more fearsome and malevolent, and our customs and superstitions are scarier too. We avoid crossing paths with black cats, afraid that they might bring us bad luck. This idea has roots in the Middle Ages, when many people believed that witches avoided detection by turning themselves into black cats. We try not to walk under ladders for the same reason. The superstition may have come from the ancient Egyptians who believed that triangles were sacred. It also may have something to do with the fact that walking under a leaning ladder tends to be fairly unsafe. And around Halloween especially, we try to avoid breaking mirrors, stepping on cracks, breaking mother's back, and spilling salt. <laughs> you, do you think Did you walking ever... under a ladder is a little unsafe? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen those like wooden ones that like sway what ladders no yeah some people have really old ones that mm. are like super rickety and i'm like mm, i'm scared to go there? on a wooden roller coaster yeah. i don't think i've ever really been on a wooden roller coaster because i'm too scared i think there's just like one at carowinds yeah and i have not gone on it i yeah. didn't go on it because i Me i don't trust it also did you ever get mad at your mom and you'd like stomp on the sidewalk oh my god uh sorry mom i know you don't listen to this <laughs> my, my mother does. You didn't agree that you did. I'm saying I did. Oh, my God. Resources for this. I only had two. Most of it I got off of Wikipedia, and the other one was history.com. So, thanks for... This was long-winded today. This is long. We're at an hour and 20 minutes, so I don't know what I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to get down when I edit, but, you know. I'm going to try not I to edit out... the ladybug. Yeah. I didn't kill it. I trapped it. You trapped it. What did what did you use to trap it? Took the lid off of this. Seriously? It's this has a lid on where, it itself. Where is the ladybug? Right there next to me in the floor. Oh my god. He started crawling straight back for me. It's cause I'm so sweet. Oh my god. I that's not that they, <laughs> they don't eat you. They're and it's not a mosquito. It's because I have good aura. 
Well, thank you for coming to our <laughs> Halloween special. Our first annual next year. Um, I think we. I said we were going to try and talk about movies. So Halloween movies that may have, you know, a real background to it or just where Halloween movies. Definitely going to bring up The Conjuring. Yeah, The Conjuring, like certain Halloween movies where they came from, background stories for, you know, true life based events, Halloween movies and stuff like that. So maybe talk about some serial killers because I know, you know, my favorite it's not really a Halloween movie. I mean, I guess it is. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based off of one of my favorite serial killers. So, yeah. So, we'll definitely probably bring that up. But, yeah. Thanks for coming to our first annual Halloween special episode. And they're probably, it's probably going to be this long every time. Yeah. Just because we can. <laughs> Why not? And I really wanted to get as much of the history and stuff related with Halloween on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think the farthest back we went was, like, the 800s. Yeah, literally. It went really far back. So I wanted to get as much history in this as possible so that you guys could, you know, learn about it with us. I mean, because I I did all the research. I mostly just copy and paste. So, I mean, I don't really read. That's why we cite our sources. Yes. I, I really just, I don't really read when I am going through it. I saw, you know, really and truly, the only thing that I read is, like, our stories, like, our actual story stories. Because I want to make sure that, you know, there's nothing that Charlie will misread or that I will misread or... It's all that I will misread. Making sure that it makes sense as a whole, so... But, yeah. Also, the we are using these... This is our first episode together using our new mics. So, hopefully we sound good. I know I am very happy with it because I am sitting back and I'm comfy and I feel good. So, yeah. I'm hoping that it, you know, it sounds good to you guys, too. So... Well, I hope you all have a good Halloween. Yes, happy Halloween. Safe. Happy Halloween. Stay don't safe. Don't get any razor blades in your candy apples. Don't. Don't. Watch out for the fentanyl. You know. Yeah, that's actually a serious thing. Watch out. <laughs> it is. It is. If you're watching the news at all, you know. Don't drink and drive. I know that's more of a New Year's thing, but people will do it on Halloween, too. Don't drink and drive. Like, holidays are when, like, the most accidents happen and people yeah, end up in the hospital. Yeah, Halloween and New Year's, so do not drink and drive. If you drink, you stay the night. That's always been my rule. It's always been what I've been told. So I have a driver. DD. DD. Or you stay where you are. So. Anyways, we hope you guys have a good Halloween. And we'll see you next year for our next year's Halloween. Yes. But other than that, we'll see you this Friday. Bye. Bye. Thanks for coming to hang out with us and letting us tell you stories. Don't forget, you can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at 3AM Tales of Terror. You can find pictures from each episode there as well as our website, 3, the number 3, 3AMTalesOfTerror.com. You can also subscribe with your email at our website for updates as well. If you have any questions or story ideas for us, you can email us at info at 3AMTalesOfTerror.com. That's a three and not the word. If you want to support us, you can sign up to become part of our Patreon. There, you will get ad-free episodes as well as bonus content. We hope you'll join us next week. And And we hope hope you were terrified. terrified.